You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome here for another half hour, a fast-paced half hour on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Werber, here on Pet Life Radio, the only, I think, live show on Pet Life Radio, a show that we want to talk to you. We want your call-ins. No excuses. Lots of benefits to calling in. First of all, free advice. You can't beat free. Secondly, a gift from ProSense, one of our sponsors, and the opportunity to share your question your issue, your problem with your pet, with all of our other listeners here at Pet Life Radio, and a chance to help them as well. So you don't even know the good deed you're doing when you ask us a question. We help you out, and probably there's a good chance we're helping many others out as well. Number to reach us is 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. And you can also just send me uh, a little quick note to Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com can't be easier than that so hope you've had a good week and uh you know here we are on a, on a nice thursday the week's coming to an end and it is getting hot here in southern california i mean they're expecting today's well into the 90s they're expecting tomorrow and over the weekend to be in the hundreds as we you know you know get close to uh you know supposedly the end of summer and you know just having you know come off of a, a nice long weekend which is great but you know it's unbelievable that uh that here it is getting into you know early september and we are just hot 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 i don't know what it's like in the rest of the country but typically for us here in la early september it's as bad as july it's really hot which you know i'm not complaining because as we come into the weekend i enjoy my relaxing time my r&r as we call it so uh hope you, you do so as well but with that hot weather comes some points that i just can't stress enough in fact uh last week I shot a segment for our local ABC affiliate, KBC, and interestingly, we you know we pitched a lot of ideas to talk about, and they still wanted to talk about hot weather and some warnings and some suggestions how to keep our pets safe during the hot weather. Here I am, where I'm, you know, I'm ready to talk about back to school and and how oftentimes back to school the pets start taking a back seat. And interestingly, you know, during the spring and summer we see our patients more. And now with back to school, I think moms are so busy with their kids and doing all that stuff that we are not seeing the same amount of uh, pet attention that we normally see. So, you know, it's interesting. But the summertime tips still, it's still summer until until September 21st. It's still summer. So you have to know we're talking making sure you exercise early in the morning, late in the evening. We're talking making sure there's shade and water out all day. We are watching carefully for signs of overexertion, overheating. We are not doing those runs in the middle of the day. We are never leaving our pets in parked cars. Those things never change. So, you know, keep an eye on that. And for those of you that were even remotely, remotely thinking that as we approach the cooler weather, we get into that fall, and then you're thinking of winter, and, you know, what I would start now planning for the holidays because this is the time of year where we see so many issues, starting with, and I know it sounds like it's far away, but it's really around the corner, starting with Halloween, going into Thanksgiving, going into Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's. This is a time that we see a lot of emergencies 
with our pets. So we'll get to, as I said, we're going to talk some specifics as we get closer and closer, but sort of, you know, keep that in mind. You want to listen in on Thursdays uh, here at uh, 1 p.m. our Los Angeles, our West Coast, or as we say, Pacific Daylight Savings Time, and at 4 p.m. back east. But you want to listen in because we're going to have a lot of tips and a lot of, uh, hopefully, good hints to help you out. So we have been seeing, I think I mentioned uh, last week that I've been getting a lot of attention talking about plastic surgery. And, you know, probably the feelers go out and I, I've had a number of networks. I think I'm, I may be doing a piece for, I know CBS coming up and then Inside Edition coming up. And I'm, I'm actually heading to New York early October to do a segment. And they always want to talk about these weird, bizarre cases. And I'm thinking, you know, wait a second, guys. There are a lot of things that we have to deal with on a regular basis that is much more common common in the sense of needing some corrective surgery. And I hate to use the word plastic surgery because when you think plastic surgery, I know if you just think for a second, someone you know is getting plastic surgery. Are they getting corrective surgery or cosmetic surgery? Are they doing something that's going to help them live an easier life? Or are they doing something that's going to help them make them look better? And I know the truth is when it comes to people, form is more important than function, so much so that people will often, which I, I find is hysterically funny, is they will sacrifice function in order to achieve a certain form. And you know, just ask or just look at pictures of any of these celebrities. I will not name them, but you know who they are that have overdone it just a bit too much. Where it looks like their faces are, are like, you know, pressed up against their heads. It looks like they, they took that ponytail and just pulled it way too tight kind of thing. But with animals, we are very concerned about function, and we may have to modify that form to achieve the function. And so two surgeries that, that we do you know, much more frequently that I had mentioned to these producers about, one is, and I actually set to do one next week, it is entropion surgery. There are certain breeds that will end up having eyelid folds where their eyelids, the upper and lower eyelids, actually are rolling inward continually rubbing against the eyeball, causing a problem. And these dogs present an obvious discomfort. They present with a lot of discharge, and that is very correctable. And yeah, it might take some of the folds away, but it's very correctable. Skin fold pyodermis as well. We have to eliminate some of those folds in the Sharpay or in the Chow Chow or in, you know, in the Bulldog if, in fact, we are getting persistent infections within the folds. Are the folds cute? Yeah, when it comes to Sharpays. Do you expect to see folds? Of course you do. But if they are presenting and causing problems, where there's discomfort, where there's infection, where there's a smell, where that makes it unappealing to be with you, of course we have to fix it. When we talk about braces in dogs, it's not for that million dollar smile. It's to allow these dogs to be able to eat and to chew properly so they can ingest their food better. And when it comes to ears, as another case we have coming up in a Cocker Spaniel, they have such chronic ear problems that the ears are continually getting infected. They can't hear. And if left alone for too long, it needs a, a very drastic piece of surgery. So again, these are things that we are all working to do. So when you hear someone talking about plastic surgery, you just know that when it comes to pets, don't think Hollywood. Don't think New York City. Don't think Housewives of Dallas or where the heck that is. You want to make, know that we're talking about improving function for our four-legged companions, our four-legged friends. Now, also, you know, just uh, one thing that comes to mind, you know, I, I like to share some of our interesting cases. So Lola, if you remember, she was this little dog that had the splenic mass, and it was cancer. We kind of suspected it was. And, oh, God, it took her so long to, to rebound because there's a delay between the time that you stop the bleed and you get the bone marrow 
to start rebounding and reading the fact that, oh my God, now I got to put out more red blood cells. And this one, admittedly, was getting me worried a little bit, thinking, oh my God, do we have a, an underlying disease or another problem here that she's just not making red cells? Well, she rebounded amazingly well, and she came in for another follow-up, and she is doing just great. Her blood cell count is normal. She's tolerating her chemotherapy amazingly well. And of course, look, she's not cured forever. We know that. But she is now enjoying some quality time with the family. And more importantly, as this family has a few young kids, they are enjoying some really quality time with Lola. And that makes me very, very happy, of course. So, and then we had, you know, it's so sad when these things happen, but you have to know that we, the veterinarians, veterinary community, those animal caretakers that are really committed to your pets and don't think otherwise, we wish we had all the answers. And we can only follow what has worked for us in the past, what has worked for our colleagues in the past, share data, share information. And sometimes, unfortunately, as I, I always say, our patients don't read the same book. So we know what is supposed to happen. We tell the owners what they should expect, what should happen. But unfortunately, the pet often has a different plan. And this happened recently where we, again, I'm, it, it just so happens, you know, bad things happen in threes. We had three splenectomy, splenic surgeries in a row. Two are doing very well. And the third one, interestingly, should have been doing great. Why? Because it was one that had the best prognosis when it came to the biopsy. It came back as a non-cancer. So we were thrilled. So we do this amazing surgery and take out the spleen and the dog has a, the first few days are just doing great. And then all of a sudden starts to go downhill very, very quickly, rush to an emergency center. And this dog is bruising all over, bleeding from on the outside, the gums, we call it petechiation, the ears. I mean, problem after problem after problem. And the diagnosis was the dog was what was called throwing clots. And what happens is that post-surgery like this, when there is a splenic mass and there's a lot of clotting going on, even though the mass itself causing all this bleeding and the clotting was a benign tumor, the problem, the, the clots are still there. And sometimes these dogs will what we call throw a clot. And that clot starts circulating within the, the, the vascular system and it lodges in certain parts of the, the, in certain vessels where the clot is larger than the vessel and now the blood flow is occluded, is blocked from wherever it goes. So if it's blood that's going to the heart or blood that's going to the brain or blood that's going to the lungs, this is potentially a deadly complication. And another problem we see, the reason why I saw this dog bruising so much was something called DIC, the disseminated intravascular coagulation. So in response to the actual potential surgery itself, the necrotic tissue that was removed, etc. The body tries to come in and sort of solve its problem and it starts micro-clotting in all the vasculature, leaving no clotting factors behind. So now the dog starts bleeding because there's no normal clotting factors available. There's nothing, nothing left. Again, it's potentially as deadly and unfortunately in this case it was. And the hard part was that we were so excited when we got the results back and saw that it was actually a non-malignant tumor. We thought, oh my God, of all the three, the two that came back with tumors are doing well, and the one that came back with a non-malignant tumor sadly did not pull through. And also, she was much older, so I, you know it's tough, and it's it's always tough for us because you know we'd love to save every single one of them. Uh, as I said, unfortunately, there's a master uh, plan up there that doesn't always match our plan. Anyway, it's time to take a break. 
And I want you to get the courage to give us a call at 877-385-8882. Send me a note at drjeff at petliferadio.com. And uh, we want to thank, of course, our sponsors. And uh, we will be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Join the dog ring revolution. If you love your dog and want to take them everywhere you go, now you can with Dog Ring. Dog Ring is a hands-free way to include your dog in more activities and give you the freedom to take your dog almost anywhere. It's a safe and easy way to secure your dog. It clips around trees, posts, and poles in seconds. It's lightweight, portable, and strong. It has a free-sliding leash which allows your dog to run around without getting tangled up. Perfect for parks, picnics, barbecues, camping, lounging outside, and furry fun adventures everywhere. Now you can be part of the Dog Ring Revolution. Visit thedogring.com and sign up for our Kickstarter campaign. Registration is now open. Go to thedogring.com. That's thedogring.com. Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know... Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View on Pet Life Radio. I am Dr. Lori Hess here with Dr. Michelle Ravish, and we are both bird and exotic animal veterinarians. We work at the Veterinary Center for Birds and Exotics, an all bird and exotic pet hospital in Bedford Hills, New York. And this is a show all about birds. It's a bird's eye view, and we hope you'll tune in soon. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Ah! Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. So welcome back to Ask the Pets with Dr. Jeff. I am Dr. Jeff Weber, your host here on Pet Life Radio. And uh, once again, if you're just joining us, the number to call is 877-385-8882. Or if you're sitting at that computer and you are listening along, you can go ahead and catch me at PetLifeRadio.com. That's Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. So 
couple of weeks ago, I was just uh, at, in Kansas City at the Central Veterinary Conference. And I'm always, you know, very eager to hear about new things. And one of the things that I hear, and, and you definitely want to talk to your veterinarians about this, obviously, there has been a movement there in general in the profession that we are over-vaccinating. And we are now trying to eliminate all the vaccines, not all of them, but the regularity, the, the actual schedule that we are revaccinating. And it used to be typically that we had vaccines that were done on an annual basis. And now we're learning that a lot of our core vaccines, notably distemper and parvo, uh, the feline vaccines for rhino, calisi, pneumonitis, and panleukopenia, which is the cat fever and all the upper respiratories, feline leukemia vaccine, our canine rabies vaccine, are good for considerably longer than a year. Now, we know this because many of us, myself included, have been titering, which is a blood test that we do to actually determine whether or not the protection is still good, and if so, do not vaccinate. Instead of vaccinating on a random arbitrary schedule, probably determined by a vaccine manufacturer, who obviously wants to sell vaccine, we are vaccinating based on need. Does that pet need to have its vaccine or is the protection from the last vaccine, whether it was a year ago, or two years ago, three years ago, still good? I'm thrilled to see that a lot of the manufacturers, even though their vaccine is a one-year quote-unquote vaccine, the manufacturers are guaranteeing it for three years, which I think is great. So I want you to talk to your veterinarians about that. Do not vaccinate for things you don't need. Do not vaccinate for uh, diseases that are not common to your area. You would want to ask what the core vaccines are. Those are the essential vaccines for your area. And go from there. And we have a caller on the line. After this caller, we're going to come back and talk about some examples of what is core and not core. Hello, you're on with Dr. Jeff. Hi, Dr. Jeff. This is Lily. Hi, Lily. Sure. I have a question about my cat. My cat is, he's a big cat. And he, he, you know, cleans himself like cats do. But he has mat on the back of his, on his back, he's a little matted. I don't know why uh-huh. or how to get them out. Cause, you know, I'm, I'm a dog person. This cat <laughs> adopted me, and I don't know what to do. Like for 20 pounds? Maybe like 16. All right. Because what I notice is that a lot of times, first of all, as, as you've already mentioned, cats are groomers. They groom themselves and typically take pretty good care of themselves. But what I note is with fairly large cats, even though they look like they're getting back there, and they're doing their best at grooming themselves, which they are obviously apt to do. When it comes to the back end, if they're big, they don't really have the agility to really get all of those matted areas. But by the licking that they do, if anything, they contribute to the mat instead of solve the mat problem. So they can actually make it worse. So what I recommend, and now I am a cat person. I'm a dog person too because I have lots of each. I actually have more cats than dogs, six to five in favor of the cats. But what makes it good for me is because my cats, I often joke, read the dog book by mistake. So I think they think they're dogs, and I don't want to tell them that they're really not. But um, so uh, it makes it really fun for the household because my cats and dogs actually play together. But two of, let me see, three of my cats are fairly long hair. And I just, what I do is on a regular basis is I get that good, either that wire slicker brush or better yet, a Furminator type comb or a metallic, it's a metal comb. And I comb out those mats. There's an art to doing it. And chances are, it's really not that hard. If you use the comb properly and you work on teasing the mat out slowly instead of trying to get the entire mat out at once, then it's actually the cats tolerate it pretty well. 
One of my long-haired cats, he's my second largest. He's also about 16, 18 pounds. He's not as big as my 22-pounder, but he literally, when he sees that brush coming, just to tell you how crazy he is uh, and how much he enjoys being brushed, he literally rolls over on his back, spreads those legs as if to say, okay, dad, come and get me. And he lets me comb out all those mats, and especially in the belly and the back of the thighs, the, the mats, he just, he's too fat to get to, let's face it. I know it's terrible that I have two cats that are kind of overweight, but what can I do? They like to eat. But I think that once you learn, and you can either have your vet or maybe someone from the staff at your vet hospital or even your local groomer show you the art of combing out those mats. And then once you learn it and you do it slowly, a little bit at a time, uh, the cats don't reject too much. Now, the best way to not have to deal with the mats is, and you're going to hate to hear this one, is after you get him professionally groomed and all the mats are out, you need to get him on a schedule on a regular basis, whether it's two, three days a week, where you do a nice, thorough combing brushing. And if you do it that way, you will probably never have mats to deal with in the first place. So, uh, and it's, you know, it's a great bonding time. And I always tell people that if you approach it slowly and gradually and make it kind of fun and maybe do it just before you're, you're feeding your cat, and chances are if your cat's a big cat, he obviously likes to eat. So use that to your advantage. And, you know, do whatever you have to do as far as the housekeeping stuff, whether it's cleaning ears or brushing teeth or or clipping toenails or or doing the brushing and the grooming. Do it just before that meal, that meal that he's obviously looking forward to. And hopefully he won't object so much to that which you're doing because he knows that it's always going to be followed by his meal. So, Lily, try those things and and, uh, get back to us and let us know when you become that master groomer. Great. Thank you so much. Great ideas. Can't wait to try Thank you. All right. Let us know. So before we talked about Lily's big cat and the, uh, the mats, which, by the way, a very, very, very common problem. So any of you who, who have not been combing your cat's mats out, now you know the secret. Uh, it's the right instruments. It's the Furminator. It's the metallic comb or the wire slicker. And it's teasing the mats out slowly, carefully. Once you get it out, if you start brushing on a regular basis, chances are you won't really have mats to worry about. So we were talking about the whole vaccine, and we were talking about what's called core vaccines, and this is something you need to work out with your veterinarian, but core vaccines are vaccines, particularly in your area, diseases in your area that you want to protect against, but not wasting vaccines on diseases that are unlikely going to affect your cat or dog. For example, if you have an indoor cat, and I have six of them, are my indoor cats going to get rabies or leukemia? Absolutely not. So am I going to vaccinate against rabies or leukemia? No. Now, of course, in some states, I know New York requires rabies for cats. That's a different story if it's required by law. But here in California, it's not, and therefore, I don't do it. My dogs don't do hiking and by streams. I don't take them to the mountains. So leptospirosis is not a problem for my dogs here where I live in Los Angeles, kind of in the flats, in the, in the, in the, you know, not in the mountains. Therefore, I'm not going to routinely vaccinate against lepto. And if my lifestyle changes, I'll add lepto into the mix. I'm not a big fan of coronavirus vaccine. I think it's unnecessary. It's a 24-hour stomach flu. I'm not going to protect against a 24-hour stomach flu. The new influenza vaccine, again, you know, when it hit the market, it was going to be the, the save-all for upper respiratory. It turns out that many of us who were given the option of free culturing of the discharges of these dogs that were thought to be harboring, carrying, or affected by the influenza virus turned out not to be influenza. Therefore, I don't vaccinate. Again, it might be different in your area. You want to check with your veterinarian. So, you know, basically, core for us is the Bordetella vaccine. You know, that's the quote unquote kennel cough shot. I shy away from using that term kennel cough. I, I like to call it live in LA cough 
or take a walk in West Hollywood cough or go to the beach cough or go to your vet cough or go to the groomer cough or go to doggy daycare cough. It is everywhere and very preventable from the vaccine. The board of tell that you're lucky, lucky to get it good for one year. Uh, in fact, most of the facilities, the grooming facilities, the doggy daycare, the boarding facilities require it and really correctly so every six months. Now, I just came back from the trade show at Central Veterinary Conference, and one of the companies has a new vaccine out, uh, realizing that we don't need the specific three-year vaccine because now all the manufacturers, I should say most of the major manufacturers, are guaranteeing their vaccines for three years, which is fantastic. And that's for distemper and parvo. This one is a half-dose vaccine. And by half dose, I don't mean half the amount of antigen necessary to stimulate the immune response to protect these pets for the period of time as endorsed, but half dose as far as actually half a cc instead of one cc. Now, what's interesting, when you have that small breed and you think, well, God, you know, I use that vial to vaccinate my Great Dane, do I really need it to vaccinate the Chihuahua? And the answer is yes, the load of antigen necessary to stimulate the immune response is the same. There's no less cells in those uh, little dogs. So therefore, the immune system is the immune system and it needs whatever the ratio is, X times, you know, 10 to the 10 or 30 uh, amount of antigen to stimulate the immune response. So what's happening is if you give half the volume of the current vaccine, let's say it's a CC, they usually are one ml and you want to give half an ml, you might be decreasing that antigen load by 50%, which means you may not get the response you're after. So that's kind of making it dangerous. Now, why do people want? What is When you have a, a reaction to a vaccine, and if you give a bunch of vaccines in one day, it's very possible to get that reaction. It's not the actual antigen causing the reaction. It's the protein. It's the adjuvant. It's everything else in that vaccine that the dog is reacting to. You're getting that sore. If you ever had a vaccine, remember when you were a kid, then you had that booster shot in your arm and your arm was sore for four days. That's what's causing the soreness. It's all the other things that's in the vaccine, not the antigen itself. So by reducing all that other stuff by 50%, there's much less possibility of getting the reaction, but you're still getting the entire amount of antigen to stimulate that necessary immune response. So please keep that in mind when you visit with your veterinarian and you're talking about vaccines. You want to find out what are the core vaccines in your area. Uh, you want to have them on a good schedule. How often you need to repeat the vaccines. Some are going to be six months. Some might be a year. Most of them now, which is great, are good for three years or more. And just so you know, I still titer. And I've had many, many animals that have been six, seven, eight, nine years since they had their last distemper shot. And they're still maintaining a high immunity, a high titer, which is amazing. So keep that in mind as well. Talk to your veterinarian about titers. So once again, it is that time. It seems like the, uh, the half hour flew right by. I want to thank Lily for calling us about her, her kitty cat and the mats. I want to, and I left myself a note, that I'm getting a lot of questions about diets, about what is the best food, what to feed our pets, what can we expect from the different things we feed, etc. So that uh, we will start talking about that next week. So if you have any questions or like to send me an email on any subject about diet and food and feeding, etc. that you'd like to talk about, go ahead and send it to me at drjeff at petliferadio.com or drjeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at drjeff at drjeff.com. And hope you uh, have a great weekend and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.